this church. A lot of life has happened since then. I did have the opportunity to share my story in a small connect group a couple of years ago. But I'm hoping that my words this morning remind you to share the greatest gift of all with those that you love. Have you considered that you have the ability to share the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life by bringing others to Christ? It has been a tradition of mine for a few years now to prepare my heart for Christmas with an Advent study. And this year I'm using the book Pointing to Promise by Proverbs 31. But another book that I think of during this time of year is Rick Warren's The Purpose of Christmas. I know that a lot of you in this church um, may have participated in a study to guide connect groups in the past. Um, and in the book, three purposes of Christmas are outlined. Celebration, salvation, and reconciliation. This morning, I'm gonna share my story of salvation and reconciliation in hopes that you leave here today encouraged to share your own testimony with those you love during this holiday season and to ultimately grow the kingdom of God. If you'd like, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. So I'll say that again for my friends in the back who sometimes feel like we go a little too fast. That's Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? Bring the boy here to me. Do you get a sense of frustration from Jesus? He's talking to the disciples, and to me, I hear an expression of, how else do I get through to you? Continuing in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus tells the disciples that faith can move mountains. He tells them that if they have just a speck of faith, a tiny mustard seed of faith, they can do anything. These verses first came to my attention in a high school English class when I elected to take the Bible as literature. And we analyzed the analogy in this passage. A mustard seed is very tiny, typically only one or two millimeters in diameter. But one mustard bush from a single seed can grow up to 20 feet wide and 30 feet tall. Mustard bushes can grow in harsh conditions with limited moisture, extreme heat, and poor soil. The mustard bush's roots grow so deep that growers are told not to plant them near their septic systems because their deep growing roots will seek the moisture and cause damage. My seed of faith is rooted here at FBC Wallingford. My parents were married in this church 43 years ago, and around the age of five, they decided to start bringing my sister and I to church. I guess they were trying to wait until I was a little less feisty to sit in the pew, but I'm glad they came when they did or they'd probably still be waiting. 
My faith journey started in Sunday school with Mrs. Feckety. I remember tagging along to Rose Arbor meetings with my mom and doing service projects like the Heifer Project with Mrs. Post. I have sweet memories of youth group adventures led by John and Amé Powers, and I had the opportunity to go on several mission trips to the Dominican Republic. This is the church that I first expressed my commitment to Jesus in, where I was baptized. My family struggled at times, and I remember the members of the church, some of you sitting here, were the people supporting us and lifting us in prayer. But as the years went on, I drifted away. I didn't attend church regularly. I made a, light, a lot of life decisions without considering God's will for my life, and I didn't live a Christian life. I married a non-believer and made no attempt to share my faith story with him. I remember a Sunday school lesson in high school about choosing your partner for life. Each person had a line drawn to what they valued. If the values were different, the lines either led to different places and the people grew apart, or someone's line direction shifted, and together they would grow towards one set of values. Well, my direction shifted, my priorities changed, and my life took a toxic turn. My home life was violent and chaotic, and I often found earthly ways to ease my pain. Seeking the refuge of God was not something I even considered, but I started to realize that I could not raise my children in that type of environment, so I made plans to leave. As those plans developed, life became more tumultuous, and on an especially dark night, I thought that my life or the lives of my children might come to an end. I was scared, weak, and weary, and for the first time in a long time, I prayed. My prayer was simple. Jesus, help me. There was nothing else, just a desperate SOS, a cry for help, and in that moment, I found the strength and the wisdom to leave. I ran upstairs to pick up my sleeping children, one under each arm, and raced to the car. It seemed like an endless night, but I was free. Sorry. Christmas is a time for salvation. Have you ever felt like you needed someone bigger or more powerful to rescue you because you couldn't free yourself from the situation you were in? I know that I have. In Psalm 18, David praises God after being delivered from the hand of all of his enemies. In Psalm 18, verse 16, he says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. My prayer was answered. I was pulled up out of darkness and wrapped in the arms of Jesus. But I wasn't just rescued or saved from something bad. I was saved for something good. In Romans, we are reminded that God saved us through Jesus' death, even while we were still sinners. Even at our darkest moments, God sacrificed his son for us and poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 reads, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is freedom. Freedom from guilt over the past. From Rick Warren's book, 
the purpose of Christmas. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for everything you've ever done wrong or will ever do in the future. He goes on to say, God's forgiveness is far more powerful than all of your mistakes and all of your sins together. So you get a clean slate. That's freedom. I was broken, and I thought I was beyond repair. From 2013 to 2015, after my divorce, I struggled emotionally. My children struggled emotionally. We experienced several transitions. We moved, I switched jobs, we couch surfed. My children switched daycares and schools multiple times. Life was really bumpy. But I returned to where my roots had been sown. I started coming back to FBC regularly. And God has used me here. The first time that I was asked to lead a small group prior to the All Church Retreat in 2015, I was shocked. I think I responded to the request with, are you sure about that? Was there no one else that could do it? And I was kindly handed a packet of leader questions and told, you got this. You're the facilitator, let God use you. So I did. And I started the small group conversation telling everyone there all of the reasons why I wasn't worthy to lead them. I didn't have scripture memorized, I was divorced, I was broken, I wasn't perfect. And what I found was that people really leaned into that. I was the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us three different stories about reconciliation and celebration over what was lost now being found. In verses three through seven, Jesus tells us the story of one lost sheep and the shepherd who leaves the 99 others to find him. In verses eight through 10, he tells the story of a woman with 10 silver coins. She has lost one coin and searched very carefully to find it. Then in verses 11 through 31, he tells us the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. Each of these stories ends in a celebration when the lost item or person is reconciled with the others. Jesus uses these stories to illustrate the rejoicing in heaven that takes place over one sinner who repents. Church can be intimidating. Having open discussions in a small group with people you don't know that well can be intimidating. Going to a retreat where you don't know a lot of people can be intimidating. Feeling less than or unworthy can really be a barrier to having an actual relationship with Christ. But what's not intimidating is having someone lead you who's just as lost as you are. Feel free to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that were nothing to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. See, it doesn't matter what type of person God uses because we are all just the vessel for God's will to be done. And whatever good comes from our service is to glorify God and to build his kingdom. Since that retreat in 2015, God has used me to lead other small groups. I've been blessed to get to know many of the members of this church through connect groups and fellowship experiences. Most of my closest friends are people who I met through this church. I even met my husband, Sean, in an adult discipleship class here at FPC. Together we have hosted small groups in our home and God has continued to use me by placing me on the ministry leaders team at First Baptist as the coach of fellowship. As the song, He Knows My Name by Francesca Battistelli states, I wouldn't choose me first if I was looking for a champion. In fact, I'd understand if you picked everyone before me, but that's just not my story. True to who you are, you saw my heart and made something out of nothing. <laughs> I'm often surprised um, that I'm a leader in our church, but I know that God saved me, not just from something bad, but for something good. Salvation is given through faith. It's not based on good deeds or actions. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we see, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. So what is the work that I'm supposed to do? What have I been saved for? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus tells us that our mission is to be disciples that make other disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission, the mission of our church, the mission of the church, is to build the kingdom. It's to create disciples who then create other disciples, who then create other disciples, and so on. So this year at Christmas, share your testimony. Tell the people you love your story of salvation. Tell them how Jesus has worked in your life. Tell them how Jesus has changed your heart. Lead them to the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, I welcome you to talk to someone. You can talk to me. I'll be downstairs after church and fellowship hall. And any of our deacons that are here today are willing to talk and pray with you. I'll wrap up with this message from Rick Warren. If you sacrificed all you had to buy me a priceless and personalized Christmas gift, and I never took the time to unwrap and open it, how would you feel? He goes on to say, it is astounding that so many people have celebrated Christmas every year of their lives without ever having opened their greatest and most expensive Christmas gift. Jesus Christ is God's Christmas gift to you. First Baptist Church of Wallingford, unwrap this gift 
and share it with others. Thank you. I don't have a multi-page one. <laughs> it's only a single one, it's an outline. Sometimes I tend to walk around, so if I do, point me back, so I get back to the microphone. Um, I've been praying about this and how to, uh, what my testament, testament should be. And God has led me towards, a little bit towards how I got to Christ and how Christ came to me. Um, so. I'll start with the, how I grew up. I grew up my full family, father, mother, two, uh, two brothers. And we used to go to church every Sunday. Uh, I used to go to church every Sunday and every holy day with my father. And part of these things uh, growing up in the denomination I was in, we had to go to confession on Saturday in order to receive communion on Sunday. And I always had to, a challenge. Because, of course, I'd go into the confessional, and my mind would go blank. And so I'd be like, oh, my God, I know I did something wrong this week. But, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't think of anything. So, you know, I would come up with something. Oh, yeah, I, I talked back to my teacher, or I didn't do what my mother said I should do. So then I'd get the, uh, you know, do this and that. So I'd go back, and I'd be in the sanctuary, and I'd be starting to say my Our Fathers, and I'd be going, oh, man, I just lied to the priest. I can't believe this. Now I just did another sin. I can't go back in. You know, my father would be there with me. He'd be going, well, why are you going back in? You know, I, these are all going through my mind, right? So I'm like, God, jeez. So then we go to church next day at 7 o'clock in the morning. And so my father would go up for communion. And you had to go to confession because you couldn't go take communion if you committed sin. So I'd be in the, you know, in the pew going, oh, I got to go up and get, get communion because... I just went to confession. I had to go up, but I sinned. So now I'm in all this turmoil. I go up because I could, you know, because otherwise I'd be sitting there. My father would be asking me questions. Why didn't I go up and everything? So I'd go up and I'd take communion. I'd be going back to my sin. I'd be like, oh my God, I committed another sin. I'm like, what am I going to do? So all this was going through my mind. And I, you know, when I become an adult later in life, you know, if I just probably explained to my parents what was going on, they could probably explain this whole thing. I wouldn't have all this turmoil, but I couldn't do that when I was a kid, so I did it. So coming up and going into high school and everything, I figured, you know what? I'm going to hell. I'm just going to hell. I can't get out of it. I might as well have fun before I get there. So I went through a lot of interesting things in high school and in college and out of college, which I'm going to go through in the details because that could take another hour. Um, so, but I just remembered that because, you know, I, now, you know, I'm, I'm going to hell. So I became a very a rabid atheist. I knew, I couldn't believe how these Christian idiots, why the heck would you believe in this? Because all you're going to be is condemned. All he does teach you how to be condemned and you're going to hell. And, why would somebody want to follow this type of thing? And uh, so, and I, so I figured, you know, anybody that followed this God thing must be like 
a first grader or somebody that doesn't even know how to read a book because it's obvious that you couldn't be a Christian. So, so this is how I was. And I was a raging atheist. Anybody that said, uh, happened to say they're going to church or a Christian, I'd be like, okay, I'm not talking to this person because they're nuts. And they weren't. I mean, they're nice people and everything else, but if I ever knew this, especially if I knew it before I knew the person, I wasn't going to be friends with them. So, um, I wound up going, I went on a blind date, and I, uh, actually it's funny because I just, I broke up with a girlfriend the weekend before, so somebody at work set me up with this blind date, I wasn't doing anything that weekend because I didn't have a girlfriend anymore, 28 plus years ago, and uh, wound up having four kids with that person now and everything else. So, uh, we got married, and we went to her church. She was Methodist. She grew up Methodist. I grew up Catholic. That's why I learned about this church. But anyway, that's another story. So we went to her church down in Hamden. And uh, so I went in because, you know, I was being a good husband. You know, I'd follow my wife into this church. So we went in. And I first off, you know, you went in. Everybody keeps talking to you. I'm like, man, people keep talking. So we finally get into the sanctuary. We sit down. You know, I, I sit. My wife sits next to me, next to the end. And they start, they, they sing, obviously. They sing the first hymn, every single verse. I can't believe this. I can, every single verse. It takes like an hour. So then, then they sing a second hymn, every single verse. And then a third one, every single verse. I'm like, man, you know, usually I'd be out of church by now. And it's like, you know, we're a half hour in, we're still doing the singing thing. So then after that, we did the, you know, the, prayer, the prayers, and then we the, the minister's option to do the sermon for like a half hour. I'm like, you know, I'm used to like the 10 minute go. Half hour later, okay. So I'm in there and then she, she finishes and then they're doing the closing prayers. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, I want to get out. I can't because my wife is planted right next to me, right? And then they do the, the next hymn, all of it. And and she's still, she's sitting there, she's standing there with me, and she's singing every single hymn, and I'm like, nobody sings when you sing with these hymns, but she's singing away with it. And so finally, and then the minister comes on, I'm like, oh, God, now we got to wait until we got to go in the line, everything else. So we, we go, there's a whole meaning to the story, right? So we go through the line, and, you know, said, you know, say hello to the minister. And then in the, the back, the, they have the uh, coffee hour behind it, right? which I've never encountered before. So and I'm right behind Lisa, and I'm like, and I see all these people, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to get through the line. Lisa goes through, she makes a left turn. I'm like, oh, God. So now we talk, and we go in, and we're talking, these people are talking to me, and they're not saying hello, they're actually having a conversation with me. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on here? I can't believe this. All these Christian people are talking to me. Um, we finally get out, and we do it, and we, you know, we get out of it and everything else. So. I'm having, so we, we, we're going to this church then, and so finally I'm reconciling. I'm like, okay, I can survive this because I'm doing this for my wife. I can, you know, it's an hour and a half, two hours, once a week. I can, I can suffer through this, no problem. So meanwhile, you know, Lisa's, well, you know, but Lisa's pregnant with my first son, Michael, and I'm having all kinds of problems. I am, I am, I'm mad and um angry at everything. I am just, I am beside myself. And it's building. It's, it, this is building over weeks. 
And finally, it's one Saturday, Lisa happens to be working luckily, because I'm in the living room of my house, and I'm screaming. I'm like, God, if there's a God, you just freaking tell me that you're here. And God struck me down. I was not, and I wound up, I'm walking, and all of a sudden, and I, I haven't read the Bible, so I don't know any context to what this is going on. And all of a sudden, I'm on a mountain, and it is so bright. You see these lights here? It is brighter than these lights. Well, you don't see it, but I see these lights. It is so bright and white, and yet I'm not squinting. And there's a guy up in the mountain, and I'm walking with him. And, my, and we're, holding, we're holding hands. I don't see his face, but I don't feel a real need to see his face. And I'm just walking with him. And all this anger and everything that's built up in me for years, I found out, is gone. It's totally gone. I've never felt so calm in my life. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even realize it until after that this, this was Christ I was walking with. And all this anger and everything was built up. It was God. You realize after that, that God was working in me. And he's saying, you know, I'm yelling at him, and it's actually he's telling me, <laughs> you know, I'm getting in here. And finally when I said that, it was like I asked him into my life. I didn't, and, you know, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm asking you, God, please get my No, I was screaming at him at that point, <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't even realize it. And that's when I became a Christian. And I didn't even realize that I was a Christian at that point, because I didn't know what a concept being a Christian was. I just knew that something had changed my wife, life, and I was like, this is a peace that I've never, and I have it. And I, this 28 years ago, that happened. And when I'm talking about it, I, I feel it walking with Christ again on that mountain. And I can see the light still. It hasn't faded in my life, and it's great. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, the words escape me as to how great it feels. So, my life after Christ. So first, um, I started doing what I felt was, you know, Okay, I'm a Christian now, as I became, now I'm a Christian. I got to do all these things. So I started doing this and that and that and the other thing, and I'm like, well, I got way too busy and started sacrificing my family life for supposedly what I thought God wanted me to do in the church and everything else. So I wrestle with that still to this day sometimes of what God wants me to do versus what I think God wants me to do. But uh, getting to First Baptist, I was at Hamden Plains, down in Hamden at first. And I always felt like, the best way I can describe it, I felt like I was out in a slushy, rainy, snowy day in rags. And I went in to Hamden Plains, and it was a beautiful sanctuary. It was nice and warm. They gave me new clothes with a blanket, with a coat, and everything else. And I felt great. But I felt like I was just sitting looking at God, sort of like, and uh, the verses, I can't quote the verses uh, like, like Kate did, but sort of like, you know, I was, I was drinking, uh, having the milk of Christ versus the meat. And so I finally, it came to me, it's like, you know, God's telling me, you know, it's time for you to go out in the world. So he had me, had us leave 
Hamden Plains, and we came here. And I was sort of like, we were walking, we were going to different churches and everything else, and I was like, you know, we're in a snowstorm outside and everything, else, but we are all warm now, because we did, we are, we are feeling good, because we had God. And I remember, it was sort of like when I came to the first Baptist, I was like looking through a window, and I'm like, man, these guys are having a party in here. They're, they're good. Well, I think we want to come here, and that's when we, we came here, and that, that's where I've been. Um, certain things I've noticed, I, I've changed. I've been, I'm much calmer now. At least I think I'm calmer versus the way I used to be. Um, one of the things that came to me that I didn't really notice in, until my neighbor mentioned it, and this is back when the 2000, the big panic of 2000 with all the computers and everything changing over and everybody saying, oh yeah, the banking system's going down, all this kind of fun stuff. And I remember it was a neighbor who was asking me, it was in the beginning of December, and she's like, you know, Mike, why are you so calm about this? And I'm like, well, we got it. And I told her, I said, well, you know, I know God, it's in God's hands. We have no problem with it. And she's looking at me and she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, the, the, God's got it. It's no problem. And so we wound up having a good conversation for about six hours about that. And it's one of those things I just never really thought about that, yeah, I'm calm. I don't, I don't have a lot of angst in my life now. Um, so with First Baptist, I'm sorry, going into the details of where I am and where God has led me now. I've led uh, uh, Sunday schools with the, the, the high school kids. I, greatest time ever. I, I loved it. I even I did, ran a youth group when I was in Hamden Plains, my wife and I. We had a great time then, too. We, I really love working with them. Um, the church has given me the faith to be coach of worship, which is a, a great blessing I had, and now I've been coach of outreach, um, which will be ending soon, but I, uh, which is a great thing as well. Um, it's also bring me uh, true friends. I mean, oh, sorry, my, this is going off. Um, true friends in the church. I mean, Klein, um, it just is the first one I was saying, because I was just talking to Klein before, and you know, we have, we have these Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock meetings, the men groups get together. I think it's great that COVID came along that I've been working from home, so I can go there on Tuesday mornings. Um, and just the other people I've met um, in this church and everything else, and I hope I've been giving back a little bit what the church and God has been giving me. So just to and that, that's it. That, that's my faith. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I think a few of us might think you have a future as a stand-up comedian now, but that's all right. I'd like to invite Dave White up to give our, our, his, our closing testimony for the service. First of all, my kid keeps calling me Dave Blaine. <laughs> what I'm going to give you today is, is just a snippet of 
my life before Jesus and, and after. And my life with Jesus has been what seems like my whole life. And so for me to give my entire testimony, you guys would all be looking at your watches, I'm sure. So here we go. On October 20th, 1962, on a worldly whim, the chimes are going off, it's 11 o'clock. On a worldly whim, a young man and woman traveled from Santa Ana, California to Las Vegas, Nevada, where they got married. He was 20 and she was 17 years old. 10 months later, they had their first child, my sister Shauna. I was born 16 months after Shauna and mom was not yet 20. My sister Tara and brother Mike were born in 1968 and 1970. In the the seven years from wedding to fourth child, my parents struggled. Mom took care of kids while dad worked at a grocery store as a clerk while being addicted to gambling. My mom's family was in the horse racing business and my dad was in the horse betting business. Soon after the birth of my brother in 1970, before their eighth wedding anniversary, my parents separated. Mom had taken to a horseman on the track and soon he would become her second husband and father of my half-brother, Tien. Although we lived with her during the one plus year period between separation and finalizing their divorce, Mom never tried to keep custody of us. Her first four kids, a fact that kept me from having any real relationship with her for many years. In that year, I experienced a time in my life that I have chosen to close out of my thoughts. It was a period of abusive grandfathers and horrible discipline practices by my mother. I moved from one grandparent's home to another grandparent's home and different elementary schools each time. I was six when my parents divorced. My youngest brother wasn't even one. What a six-year-old boy goes through when parents stop loving each other is utter confusion. What this six-year-old didn't realize at the time was that there is a God who has a plan. I had no idea who God was. The only times I'd heard his name was never for a prayer. And often it was followed by a leather sandal to my backside or sometimes the side of my head. But the reality is I was chosen to be his child. He chose me long before my parents ever made that trip to Vegas. Then there was dad. God had a plan for him too. Remember I said that my mother left him for a horseman at the track. Dad kept working at the grocery store and started a cleaning company. Gambling at the track was no longer a desire. Before the divorce was final, he visited, we visited with him every other weekend. While working at the grocery store, he met the woman who would become my stepmom. This will be the only time you will hear me refer to her as my stepmom. Although to this day I call her by her first name, Kay, she is and always will be the only mom I ever had. 
Kay was also a divorce survivor. She had two kids, Dan and Karen. But above all, the most special thing about Kay was she had Jesus. And she shared him with Dad. Our weekend visit started to include Kay and Danny and Karen, and then church. We started going to them with them to the First Baptist Church in Anaheim, California. Then, in what seems like a whirlwind, because I can't remember the order, my mother got married and gave custody of us to my dad. On August 12, 1972, dad married Kay. They bought a house in Anaheim and we became a family, not unlike the Brady Bunch, with three boys and three girls. We went to First Baptist every Sunday. I learned about Jesus, I learned about forgiveness, I learned that God loves me even enough to die for me. And my family was learning too. On December 2nd, 1973, 49 years ago this past Friday, I professed my faith through believer's baptism 19 days before my ninth birthday. I entered the baptismal with my dad and my sister. We were all born again on the same day. For the next four years, we attended Sunday school and worshiped every Sunday. I sang in the children's choir and went to summer camp. Jesus was always a part of my life, and I, always, and I was always happy to talk about him. I even had Bible classes at John Marshall Elementary School once each week. Public school has changed a lot since then. God's plans continued to unfold. In January of 1978, Dad and Kay took a vacation without any kids to Rhode Island. Kay was from Cranston and her family was still there. It happened to be right around the blizzard of 78. While we were 3,000 miles away at home in Anaheim, they were taking in the beauty of three-foot drifts and New England winter wonderland. I don't remember how long they were gone. I was 13 and the sitter was a pushover. But when they came home, we had a family meeting. Dad loved family meetings. All eight of us around the table. Kids, we're moving to Rhode Island. While traveling to the airport for their return home, they passed a house, not just any house, an 11-room Victorian with six bedrooms, and it was for sale. I think God sent a wind to blow the snow off that for sale sign. Stop the car, call the realtor, tour the house, make an offer, fly home, tell the kids. The emotions that must have been going through their heads on that six-hour flight. June 1978, I just finished seventh grade at Brookhurst Junior High in Anaheim, and now we're packing all our stuff in a utility trailer that Dad bought and fixed up. He even painted it up to match his Chevy sport van. The van had two bench seats, one of which he turned around to face the other. He bolted a table to the floor between the seats, three kids frontward, three kids backward, Siamese cat in a cage, black lab hanging out with the kids. We crossed the country in 10 days. We camped every night in the KOA campground, except the nights we spent visiting family along the way in both Ohio and Chicago. It was a trip I'll have memories of for the rest of my life. When we arrived in Rhode Island, the first thing my parents did was search for a church. 
We stayed with my aunt until the house was ready, so we attended her church at first. Nothing against the Methodists, but... Sorry, Mike. (laughs) There was a small church in the same town as our new house, Phoenix Baptist Church, in the little village of Phoenix, West Warwick, Rhode Island. The congregation was very friendly. They had a good youth group and a young biblical pastor. Just a footnote, that young biblical pastor is now my brother-in-law. He married Donna's sister. Our family was late for service on our first day, and we filled an entire pew. Awkward. Phoenix became our home, and we quickly became part of the Phoenix Church family. My siblings and I started school in West Warwick, and my dad decided to start a new business. We were from California, and he missed Mexican food. In 1979, David Blaine Sr. opened the first Mexican restaurant in the state of Rhode Island. He called it Mr. Taco. If you were a Blaine or a kid from Phoenix Baptist, you had no problem finding a first job. My dad was a prime example of Proverbs 22.6. Bring up a child in the way he should go, and even when they're old, they will not, re- do not turn from it. Dad made sure we knew how we should go. God was first. We went to church. We gave back to God. We had firm understanding of work ethic, and we helped others. If Dad had an employee who struggled with bills, he would sit them down and teach them how to budget. When a homeless person asked him if he could sweep the lot for a meal, he told him, come in, and I'll give you a job. I've spent my life trying to maintain a standard that my dad set for himself. Dad became a leader in our church, and we all did something to be involved in God's work. We had paper and glass drives in the summer. All the kids would get together and travel around and gather recyclable newspapers and bottles that people would save for us. God was still directing my paths and keeping his plan for me moving forward. In our first year in West Warwick, my sister became friends with one of the girls at church. They were in the same grade and had some classes together at school. I was younger by four months, but a full grade behind them in school. We all went to Sunday school and youth group together. It wasn't long before I started to develop my own friendship with this girl. And as time went by, Donna and I began to grow closer. Our lifelong relationship began in January of 1980. Donna and I dated through high school. She graduated a year before me in 1982. During my junior year, I made a decision to join the Navy after high school. I wanted to be a builder in the Seabees. The recruiter that I spoke with told me he could not find any openings for builders, but he thought I'd be a good candidate for aviation. This was my second year in a construction program at the vocational high school. I said, no thanks. Call me if a builder opens up. My senior year of high school was kind of a breeze for me. I was on a work release program at vocational school, and that meant that my Votech grade came from working at a lumberyard. I only needed history and English to graduate, so I only had to attend two classes a day. One day in May of 1983, shortly before graduation, I'm now 18, 
the teacher get a call from the office saying, send Dave Blaine to the office. When I entered the office, the same recruiter from the previous year was standing there, his own builder first class insignia proudly displayed on his arm. We got a builder spot open if you still want it. On Saturday, June 18th, one week after graduation, my recruiter picked me up and drove me to Boston where I signed up to be a builder in the United States Naval Reserve. I would leave for boot camp in October. God's plans are not always our parents' plans. After seeking God's wisdom and feeling only his blessings, on September 23, 1983, prior to leaving for boot camp, after scraping and saving to buy a ring, I asked Donna to be my wife. We were 19 and 18 years old. Guess what my parents were thinking? We planned to be married in 1985. As Christians, we believe that God is in control of what happens in our lives, but we can't forget that he's also in control of everyone else's life. We often think God has, puts people in our lives for a reason, and that is fact. However, sometimes we're the person who's put in someone's life for a reason. I arrived in Orlando, Florida for boot camp in October of 1983. Graduation scheduled for December 23rd. If you didn't make it, you didn't go home for Christmas. My company consisted of 80 guys, all bunked in one room, in a, in a one-room barracks with a large community bathroom and a quote-unquote lounge area with no furniture. We would have classes and calisthenics all day, then return to the barracks for the evening. After cleaning the barracks, we could have an hour of free time. Unless you were a smoker, you didn't want to be in the lounge. On the weekends, we worked Saturday, but we had more free time. Sundays were no work days, but we could go to church on base if we wanted. Choices were Catholic, Protestant, and Jewish. Each company had two company commanders, usually E5 or E6 petty officers. My company happened to have two brand new company commanders and both were in desperate need of leadership training. The company commanders chose four men to be what they called religious petty officers. On Sunday mornings, the RPOs would line up those who wanted to go to church and march in an organized column to the chapel and back again. While at chapel, the chaplain could give pocket testaments to the RPOs for distribution to the men in the company. For 80 men to each get a Bible, it would take five weeks with four RPOs. I was chosen to be an RPO, and as an RPO, I made sure that all 16 Bibles were brought back and distributed each Sunday. I also began leading a prayer and Bible study during free time. Our company commanders were very hard on us. They pushed us beyond our limits and often, often and many in our company were injured or fell behind. By week four, half of our 80 recruits had been set back to the next incoming group. This was unacceptable and unacceptable to the command, so our company commanders were replaced halfway through. Many of the men were coming to me with prayer requests and things they wanted to talk about. By the end of the sixth week, all but a few guys were coming for prayer and Bible study at free time. 
I thank God for my faith and for putting me in the lives of the men in my company. God got us all through that time through his word and our prayers together. I graduated boot camp in time to go home for Christmas. I continued my training in Gulfport, Mississippi beginning in January. After returning from Navy Builder School, I began working full-time back at the lumberyard. I continued to share my faith with the employees there. It would be several years later at a Christian concert. I bumped into a guy that I had worked with at the lumberyard. He introduced me to his friends as the guy who introduced him to Jesus. I had no idea. Thank you, Lord, for putting me in his life. Donna and I were married on May 11th, 1985. We've been trusting God to guide us through every step of the way. In the 37 years that we've been married, we've had our mountains and our valleys. God has never failed us, and we have always had exactly what we needed. I have continued to share my faith with coworkers and people I meet. My prayer is always that I will be a light for those, for others to see Jesus. I have so much more I could share because God has blessed my life in so much. I will have the rest of my testimony, I will leave the rest of my testimony for another time, but I do want to share this one story before I go. After her second marriage failed, my mother married again, a marriage that would last 41 years until her death four years ago today. I'm blessed to be able to say to you that in the year prior to her death, she told me that Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior. And that's my testimony. deeper meaning of communion was lost on me. I understood it to be a kind of ritual that I, that, whose significance I really only partially understood. So for anyone listening who might be in that same boat, in that same place, I implore you, read the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Although John's Gospel doesn't recount the Last Supper. It goes into details of the prayers of Jesus when his time had come, when the hour had come, before he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. <laughs> 